afternoon, everyone. Actually, it's morning as I record this, not afternoon. It just feels like afternoon to me, but uh, I guess it could be morning, evening, night, wherever you are listening. Um, today has just been one of those, it's been a great day. It's a Sunday. I was up way too early, so I got my grocery shopping done at 6 this morning. So even though it's a little after 10 in the morning here, it certainly feels like afternoon because of how productive I've been. And to add add to the productiveness, you know, let's let's record a podcast. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, thank you for listening, and I'm glad you could join me. Uh, I'm Edward, and this is Chatting with the Lightkeeper. And today, um, for the podcast, rather than talk about a single subject, I thought I would go through some of the questions that have kind of come into the uh, to the ask box. Ask, not ass. Um, I may be an ass, but these are ask. These are questions, not uh, me being an ass, um, although I've been told I'm a gifted ass. So, you know, I'll take that to mean I have a good backside, not that I'm a, not that I'm a donkey of a person. So anyway, um, the first question that rolls in, um, and, and just before I guess I get started, just to clarify, um, for everyone who's asked a question, I have answered them privately. These are not things that have been maybe sitting for weeks and I'm just now getting to. Um, when I do get a question, I, I do try to answer it as, as quickly as I can. So the first question that comes in is, it's about poly. And how do I, how does somebody know if they actually are poly? I mean, are is it just you people wake up one day and decide to be poly, are poly? How do you, how do you know if they're poly or not? Because this person took one of those wonderful online quizzes and it kicked back that they were this and that and that they were poly and they were very surprised by that. So the question then is, how do you how do you know if you're actually poly or not? So to start with, um, poly, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, poly just means that um, you have one or not one, but well, potentially one, but open to having more than one romantic relationships together. Um, it's more than saying having a boyfriend or girlfriend and sharing sex with other people, inviting them in for sexual play. That's that's not poly. It's more of a open or swinging relationship. Poly is actually having, you know, an intimate romantic relationship with more than one person ethically, meaning everyone knows that this is going on because you can be claim to be poly or you can be poly and still um still be unethical and still cheat so this is you know ethically having multiple people involved being romantically involved ethically with other people so it can be kind of a tricky thing to figure out because society programs us that um you know in simple terms, looking at myself, you know, boy meets girl, boy falls in love, boy marries girl, they buy house, white picket fence, have kids, very much a monogamous relationship escalator where everything, you know, starts from liking somebody all the way up with a plan to marriage, kids, 401ks, retirements, RV travels, whatever it is retired folks do. All the way from, you know, meeting the person through the end of your life together 
And it's that one person forever and ever. And that's what society says we should all be. Well, that's not the case for everybody. That works for a lot of people, and there is nothing wrong with it if that's that's your jam. Great. Um, but, you know, there are other alternatives, other ways. Um, in fact, in 2019, this wonderful group called the Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality um, found that 89% of people have considered a non-monogamous relationship. Now, that's kind of vague because non-monogamy, once again, considers opening up the relationship for sexual play with others, not necessarily poly where you're romantically involved with others. So it's a little little vague, but it is surprisingly, I think, a high number. Um, and yes, I think every guy out there um, would say that they probably have some sort of threesome fantasy put my hand up, myself included. Um, but just because you have these ideas, obviously doesn't mean that 89% of the people out there have acted on them. Um, so, but it does show that I think the importance of that number, you know, whether it's right, wrong, it's not, not, we're not debating the number, but it's just, it just shows that, um, you know, humans may not necessarily be monogamous creatures as we've been led to believe by society. So how do you how do you know if you're not if you're not monogamous? Um, now there's no real way and all those online quizzes that you can take um, I've taken a few I, I did just for fun for this to see. And since I'm a boy and I think like most straight boys, I have the fantasy of, you know, having a sexual threesome with two women. Um, so when I kept that fantasy in mind, when I answered the questions on whether I'm poly or not, of course, every single one of them kicked back that, hey, I was poly. Because not that I thought about having an actual romantic, loving relationship with more than one person. It's because I had this this fantasy and, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't hide it when I, when it asked the questions about, you know, having a threesome. So it kicked back. And of course, I think every one of them said that I was poly, which I would probably disagree with. But anyway, it's, it wasn't about, you know, me, but I think the online quizzes and surveys and take this test to see if you're dominant or submissive and all that stuff. I think, I think they're skewed. Um, so really getting back to just some thoughts about signs that maybe you're not necessarily monogamous. This may not be that you're poly per se, but maybe you're open to, you know, like me with my fantasy. Um, so perhaps if you're in a monogamous partnership or in the past monogamous partnerships you've been in, um, you feel kind of stuck. Um, like you feel, you know, perhaps trapped is the word that comes to mind and not trapped because the other person is not the right person for you, but just that you love the person, you're in love with the person, they're in love with you, but you still feel like you're wanting more. Um, 
doesn't mean you're necessarily poly, but it's just maybe a sign that you can open your mind to consider those options. Um, the other thing that kind of comes up is when it comes to poly, a lot of people think, yeah, you know, I could be poly. That, that kind of sounds interesting to me. The sticking point that happens is it's very easy, um, especially, um, especially on the, the, for guys, guys think, oh, I would love to have two girlfriends at once. And, you know, it, it can be kind of going on that whole, whole threesome fantasy and, and taking it from a threesome fantasy to having two girlfriends at once. And a lot of guys think that would be wonderful. The problem is, is those same guys don't want their girlfriends to have other boyfriends or girlfriends or partners, whatever. Um, so that's the a big thing to consider when you are considering whether or not you are poly. You might feel great about having more than one partner, but you have to also understand that your potential other partners will also potentially have other partners. And is that something that you can handle? And that's a big, it's a big ask. And it's a very, it's a very challenging subject to think about. And in reality is even more challenging to hear a partner talk about their date last night. Some people are great with it. Other people, that's a huge stumbling block. Um, so being poly also entails being able to have open, honest, and, and deep conversations and being able to talk about fears and insecurities. And every person that I've ever met that's poly does talk about having some very, very deep conversations with their partner or partners about, you know, hey, when you were talking about this, I felt this way and I wasn't expecting it, or this feeling was new to me, or, you know, I'm feeling a little jealous, which means I'm feeling that something's a little off. It's a warning signal. We need to, um, to talk this through. So there isn't a, you know, there aren't any hard and fast rules on whether you are or are not poly. Um, but I think it's something that more people have thought about than maybe actually admit to it. Um, but it just because somebody thinks about it doesn't mean it's the right fit for them. Open minds think about things that are very open, even if they're not for them, they're open to thinking and talking about them. And if you're curious about, you know, being poly, I highly, highly recommend that you invest the time to read a book. Uh, it's by Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton, and it's called The Ethical Slut. And it is... A fantastic book. Even if you are not Ollie, even if you are sure that being monogamous is your jam, seriously, if you want a good book on relationships that'll make you a better communicator and just make, you know, help make sense of relationships, especially if you're kind of kinky, this is a fantastic read, even if you're not Polly. But if you're considering Polly or our Polly, I can't stress this book is just amazing. It's a great relationship tool. So getting back to things, there isn't a right or wrong way to decide if you're poly or not. Um, 
it's just going to take a lot of soul searching, a lot of research. And if you're in a relationship, conversations with your partner, um, those are a must have. If you're considering entering a relationship, you need to be open and honest about where you're at with maybe being in an open relationship with with being open to other sexual partners to full-on poly with being in relationships with other people. So at this point, um, we'll pop in, do a quick break, and hear a word from the podcast sponsor, and then we'll come back and answer a few more questions. All right, welcome back. And um, had a momentary freak out there while uh, while I took a break for the ad and thought I would you know, look at my phone and like most of you, when you have a moment, yeah, I'll look at my phone, see if I have any messages and your phone isn't where you thought you left it and you don't see it in sight. You kind of have this freak out. And yeah, so I had my, where's my phone freak out? And turns out my phone is plugged in charging because last night I forgot to charge it and I forgot that I was charging it now. So anyway, I have recovered from my missing phone freak out and back to answer a few more of, of the questions that have that have come in lately um, the next one is somebody who's new and they're asking two questions how can i spot a fake dom or submissive and what is a good website to go to where i can learn more about ts um, so the first part on spotting a fake um there's no tried and true method. Um, it really comes down to basically all the, I shouldn't say simple things because they're not simple, but it's a matter of sometimes people are, for whatever reason, enjoy playing the role of being kinky online and the reality of their life is completely different. So you look for signs that are consistency in words and actions, um, and by actions meaning they they live their life with, you know, the, to the to the goals and and basically live their life as a good person. Um, doesn't matter whether you're kinky or not. You know, a, a not so nice person is a not so nice person. Um, another way to spot somebody who is potentially a fake is they are going to be more than likely unwilling or unable to engage in video chats or even phone calls. Uh, they will want to blow up your inbox on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media you're using. They will be more than happy to blow up your inbox with IMs and DMs and messages but they're unwilling or unable to to take the next step of having video chats, you know, actually putting putting face to, you know, FaceTiming, sitting there talking with somebody, looking at them, you know, even if they're in your in your neighborhood, um, having video chats is a great way to safely start to get to know somebody. And oftentimes those who are playing the online um, games uh, will not be willing to do that, or they're available only, for example, during their work hours, and then suddenly at night and weekends when it's family time, uh, they disappear. Um, 
that's that's a red flag. Um, so it's really all the red flags that um, that you would talk about with your vanilla friends with online dating. Um, it's no different with the S. The same, you know, red flags exist. Um, another thing that I just have to say this because it's something I'm becoming more and more aware of, and it's something that I think everybody needs to be conscious of. There are tons and tons of memes and gifts out there in the world of the internet that always say, you know, a real dominant will do this. A real submissive is this. A real switch is that. And in a, it almost feels like somehow in the lifestyle we're kind of gatekeeping, trying to keep, and I don't think it's meant to be, but it's if you're a new person, um, no matter what role you think is the right fit for you, you know, when you see these memes and gifts and everything that have been shared hundreds of thousands of times that say, you know, here are the five things to be a good dominant. And you look at it and you're like, well, you know, I'm three out of five. So, boy, do I have to change to be a good dominant or do I have to change to be a good submissive? And it's very easy to see these things, even as potential somebody who's new to look at this and go, boy, you know, that doesn't really fit me. So I guess the lifestyle isn't a fit. It's almost like it's almost like we're gatekeeping, trying to keep people out. And I don't understand it. Um, kind of drives me bonkers because what makes a good dominant or a good submissive or a good switch or just a good person who enjoys kinky sex um, is whatever for them, what makes them good is finding the right partner, being themselves and finding the right partner who everything clicks with, you know, selfishly, I consider myself a good dominant. Um, you may disagree with that and that's fine. Um, but I might be a good dominant for, you know, a person over there and somebody else can, you know, get to know me and then my thoughts and philosophies and think that no, no, that just doesn't fit with what I feel is a good dominant. So it's very much what it means to you. So don't let the preconceived notion that you must be X, Y, and Z to be a certain role in the lifestyle. Um, and, you know, as for spotting a fake, it's just, it's a matter of, of, um, you know, just like, just like you're meeting people in the vanilla world. Um, it's no different and working hard to suss out whether they're, they're a good person or a bad person. And, and there are people who online, um, recently there was a huge brouhaha, um, in the Tumblr community, not too long ago, where, um, a very well followed DS blogger, um, and, um, basically, I don't know, years and years and years built this blog and, and kind of a cult following. Um, but, um, suddenly everything people thought they knew about this person came kind of crashing down when the reality of it hit. And anytime you have something like that, you have a huge schism because people think that, um, you know, some people feel that it was, you know, a personal attack or a personal vendetta or 
that they're good friends with this person, so they're going to have their back no matter what. And other people see this and say, oh my goodness, it's drama. And, you know, I want nothing to do with this greater community because look at the, all this drama that's getting kicked up. And then there are other people that look at the situation and say, wow, um, boy, this person really had me snowballed. I need to be more careful. Um, so sometimes spotting a fake or somebody who is not what they seem isn't easy. Um, there are people out there who, um, yeah, it's, you know, they do a great job online of shielding and kind of presenting their version of the world to the world or what they want to be or think they are or, you know, however it works. I don't understand why people go online and are somebody they're not, but it's the greatest thing about the internet, apparently, is you can go on and, and be anything you want to be, and some people choose to be idiots. Um, another, and it's this is not, this is certainly not if you're a telltale sign, but if you are a newer person and you are speaking with somebody who is claiming they're experienced in the lifestyle, ask them about their in-person interactions, because if somebody's experienced they should have had some real world connections, contacts. You know, do they do they attend um, a munch group? Uh, which a munch, if you didn't know, is just a get together of kinky people. Um, you know, you know, have they had relationships? It's it's very it's something that personally I look for when I am hearing about or interacting with somebody who is claiming to be an experienced dominant or submissive is is how they present their real real world interactions in the lifestyle and if you have somebody who is um i'll use the example of uh, a kinky dear abby um or uh you know one of those ask and answer columnists that appear in these old-fashioned things called newspapers, uh, and they're still online, um, or they're active in like forums where they're they're chiming in with with answers, or they're they're getting a lot of questions and they're answering them, you know, kind of like what I'm doing today on the podcast, you know, answering some questions that have come in. But that's um, and they don't necessarily talk about themselves, um, like if you see where they talk about other people's mistakes, but they don't talk about their own. Uh, they don't talk about engagement um, outside of online with people. You know, they're, all their engagement seems to be online, their relationships online. Um, there's a vast difference in this lifestyle, and there's nothing wrong with exploring it online. And even finding an online romance and an online DS, if that's your jam, rock on, it's good. But there's a huge difference between online and in person. Um, so when looking at for the the fake person look for also some real world interactions um as for sites to learn more uh i'm old-fashioned that um that i am so rather than say try xyz.com i am going to suggest these wonderful things made out of paper called books um 
the first one, um, actually, yeah, the first two, um, are once again are by uh, Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy. Um, and it doesn't matter your role, they're beautiful no matter your role. The new topping book and the new bottoming book. Um, both are fantastic, and if you're a dominant, read the new bottoming book as well. And if you're submissive, read the new topping book as well. It's very important to get the perspective from both sides. Um, so there are both of those those books. Um, there is the old standby, uh, Screw the Roses, Send Me the Thorns. Uh, it's been around for years and years, but it's a fantastic book. Um, also, there's S&M 101, A Realistic Introduction. Um these books are not new, they're not trendy, uh, but they're solid information that has stood the test of time, which is very important. Uh, I will, in the description of the podcast, wherever you're listening, have links for these books that I've talked about so you can find them. Um, as, far as, as far as websites go, um, you have uh, FetLife. Um, F-E-T-L-I-F-E, FetLife.com. It bills itself as sort of the Facebook of the kink, BDSM, DS, any other kinks and fetishes, anything and everything um, you can find there. It can seem very overwhelming, um, especially if you're newer, because there's just so much. Um, and of course, since sex sells, it is tilted, of course, to titillizing images and words. And so while it's not a quote-unquote dating site, um, a lot of people do go there looking for partners. Um, and it, since it's so big, you have to take like little bites if you're going to look for information, if you're curious yeah, go there and just use it just just little 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 bites and look for something very specific because there are groups and discussions there on anything and everything you could think of and things you've never thought of and probably things that if you bump into them you will never want to think of again uh it but it covers the gamut um so that's there and you can use it or not, but I still like to read and highly recommend read. Next question is, what's the difference between a daddy dom and a caregiving dom? And the answer is, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm not, I try to make things not political, but this just popped to mind. It's kind of like Donald Trump's underwear. Depends. Um, in case you don't know, if you're not from the United States, Depends is an adult diaper um, for adults with incontinence problems. And the reason why I make the joke is some of the pictures of Donald Trump in suit pants, it looks like he is wearing an adult diaper. Um, anyway, enough of politics and adult diapers. Um, the term daddy-dom-little girl relationship has been around for quite a while. Um, and I can remember when I first heard it, I was, and kind of got the description of what a daddy dom was. I'm like, well, that really is the first description that kind of feels close to the kind of dominant that I believe I am. But then the whole daddy and little girl thing 
really creeped me out because it kind of sounded, yeah, it sounded kind of creepy and maybe like incest-like and kind of gross um, because of the way it sounded. So as kink evolves, terms evolve and change, and a, and a caregiving dom is kind of, to me, what a daddy dom is, but it's removing the potentially icky stereotypes or connotation that daddy dom little girl um, DS relationship has. It's, it's focusing on um, a dominant who is more parental in nature. Once again, not trying to use terms that are trying to be more specific and kind of remove the ick factor. Um, it can also mean a dominant who, um, I've seen it used as a dominant who is maybe not the primary um, dominant for a submissive, and their interactions with that submissive are kind of be like a um, substitute dominant. Maybe they're in a long-distance relationship, and, and the caregiving dominant would be there to give hands-on discipline, perhaps. Maybe that helps the submissive or uh, in-person advice or things like that. But often there is not a, um, a sexual relationship between the caregiver who is um, typically like the local the local dominant, if you will, why the uh, the primary dominant is is distant. Um, so I've seen it that way, but more and more within the lifestyle, it's becoming a um, replacement term for the term daddy dom. Uh, the next question is um, asked about, from a submissive's point of view, that they're intrigued by the DS lifestyle, but they don't think that anything painful um, they're, you know, like even they say even, you know, even a spanking doesn't appeal to them. So does that mean DS isn't for them? And my answer is no. Um, you pain in anything painful does not have to be part of DS. Just like um, even kinky sex doesn't have to be part of DS. There are many people involved in the lifestyle who are asexual. Um, so sex is not even a part of, of the lifestyle for them. So like painful things or things that you feel are painful don't have to be part of your, of what makes DS great for you. Um, DS is very individualistic. You can craft it to be whatever you want it to be. Um, perhaps the being a leader in a partnership appeals to you. Um, so the role of dominant really appeals to the person, but they don't want to tie up and spank their person, uh, their partner, or engage in, um, you know, correcting them if they, they break a rule any physically, they're, they're, they just don't, that's not their jam, um, or either are submissive and they don't want and or enjoy any type of activity that causes pain. That is absolutely fine. It's, um, there's, I'm sure there's memes and everything else out there, but DS is never about, or even BDSM isn't about pain or whips or chains or any of that. Um, it's really comes down to trust. It's all about building a trusting relationship and making that relationship what you need and what your partner needs and what 
that partnership as it grows, you know, growing together and becoming. So to be involved in DS doesn't mean you have to be into certain things or not into other things. So you can craft a relationship to have it be whatever you want it to be. So you don't have to be into pain or something that that is a that you find is a no for you that's a yum for a lot of other people in a lifestyle doesn't mean you can't find your home here. Next, what is the difference between a kink and fetish? Um, for years and years, I use these terms interchangeably. And boy, I was wrong. Um, I admit it. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Um, a kink is something that the typical vanilla person would find kinky. Um, and one person's kink is another person's vanilla. Um, for example, kinky for me would be, say, a wooden spoon and a ball gag. A little kinky play with those. Um, and another person may think having sex doggy style is being kinky. So a kink is something that is perhaps out of an individual's norm. It's not what they consider routine or normal. So, you know, in the lifestyle, one person's kink is another person's vanilla. But it's just really anything that is, I guess, for generally, you know, out of, out of the vanilla norm. So that's, that's a kink. Um, a fetish is when that kink goes from, hey, I enjoy... Um, I enjoy, I don't know, um, you know, giving a spanking. So that goes from a kink to a fetish when you cannot enjoy an encounter if you don't get to either be spanked or do the spanking. So it's, it's often gets the, gets to the point where a fetish, for example, a person cannot actually have an orgasm unless it includes their fetish. So a fetish is a kink that is a must-have to feel that a playtime, an encounter, whatever, um, a sexual romp or whatever it is, in order to feel satisfied, this has to be included in it. It's not some, saying that somebody with a fetish can't enjoy um, or engage in play without their fetish. They certainly can. But to feel satisfied, they have to have this. It's a must-have in order to feel, you know, completely, completely satisfied. So that's the difference between a kink and a fetish. The next question is... How do you have a conversation with somebody that you're interested in dating, but you don't know if they are familiar with or into, into DS or BDSM, and you are somebody who's explored the lifestyle, and you know that you need to have the lifestyle be a part of a relationship? Um, boy, that's that's a tricky one, because I don't believe that you can... Like, I don't believe a person can, like, learn to be submissive or learn to be dominant or learn to be a switch. Sure, somebody can learn, I guess, the skills, if you will, that go along with it and role play that um, and do role plays. 
but to actually have a um, more than just play with a person, I think there has to be there has to kind of be something going on inside the person that that makes the lifestyle a, a home for their soul. I don't think it's something that they can um, that they can fake being if they're not not really there. So how do you how do you find out without you know maybe directly asking because it would be be a hard thing to directly ask, which is very very understandable. Um, the first thought is share a King Positive like article that's out there. Um, hey, was surfing the internet today. Uh, saw this. What do you what did you know? What are your thoughts on this? You know, uh, you know, share the share the article that talks about DS or BDSM and and ask for their thoughts. And it you know, I look for things that are you know King Positive, and there are a lot of King Positive news articles out there. So you can share that, and get their feedback. Um, another thought is in while this is Hollywood so anytime we're talking movies and the lifestyle obviously there's going to be a disconnect between reality and the movies we all know that movies are are fake and you know for obvious reasons but you know maybe share a share a movie together where DS is a part of the theme of the movie um, maybe not 50 shades um, although you know it can be it, it you know something that's a conversation starter. Um, my choice would be the movie The Secretary, um, and so that would be that would be an idea. And another thing that can happen is people can fall in love, build a relationship, and one person is kinky and the other person is not. Um, doesn't mean the relationship is doomed to fail or anything like that. Um, but there's a great resource. Um, it's another one of those paper products called a book. Um, it's called When Someone You Love is Kinky. Um, and once again, this is by uh, Dossie Easton and Catherine Litz List. Um, and it's a great resource for you to share or read with if you have a partner, if you're kinky and your partner is not, or, you know, however it works when, just as the title says, when you love somebody and they're kinky. Um, it's a great book to, to talk about and kind of for discussions, tips, and all sorts of great things. And even if both of you are kinky, it's a great, um, it's still a great book to read. And finally, um, I guess we'll save the worst for last or the hard one for last. And I say it's hard just because what the question entails. And this person says, my first DS relationship recently ended. Why does it hurt so badly? It hurts worse than any other relationship or any other breakup I've had. And yeah, that's a, it's a hard one and it sucks. Um, so rather than deal with the sucky side of, of a breakup, because breakups suck, let's, let's start with talking about what happens when we when we love someone you know when we we love someone we we can't see wait to see them again um the time between you know even if they've just left we already miss them it's very natural to feel you know to feel that way especially when you when you really love or like somebody we always make time for them they make time for us we make time for them you you know make sacrifices for them it's 
it's just it's second nature you know it's something they need i'll definitely sacrifice to give them what they need um and if you're newer to DS and you're in love with somebody, you're sharing a lot of first with them, more than likely. Um, maybe your first spanking or your first kinky bit of play. You're sharing a lot of a lot of physical first and also emotional first with them. Um, and of course, you know, the sex with somebody that you love and communicate with is fantastic because you're able to communicate, which makes the sex better. You can talk about it. So it's fantastic. Um, we also tend to idealize those people that we love. You know, we look for their, their best traits and abilities. We love how they listen to us, how they smile, how they inspire us. And we, as we love somebody, we, we find a way to, you know, overlook the flaws. Um, and then as our love grows, we continue to open ourselves up, which means we're making ourselves vulnerable and we're willing to talk about our flaws. We're willing to, you know, kind of take off our, our mental clothes and, and, you know, show our naked soul to the person that we love, allow them to see our vulnerabilities, our insecurities and if you're newer to DS, uh, there's, uh, you know, it could be your first time or one of your very newer, being newer to DS, one of your first relationships. Um, so you're really opening yourself up in a way that you've never opened up to another partner because that whole DS component um, perhaps was something you didn't know you had, or if you knew you had, you kept locked away. And so you've unlock this portion of yourself that you've kept securely stored in your overhead, you know, bin with your luggage during your flight of life until this point when you've pulled it down and you, you shared it with, with this partner. Um, and so you're really opening up a new part of yourself that, that no one has seen, or perhaps few people have seen before. Um, we also reached the point where we're, we don't need to hold back our opinions anymore. We we're ready to fire away and share them with them. Um, we see the good and the less good in our partner, you know, and we are willing to put in the work because as relationships grow, it requires work and all of this combined causes us to feel deeply, madly in love. And when we break up, um, science tells us that um, breaking up triggers activities in the brain that are associated with motivation. Um, it's one of the reasons why, you know, after a breakup, sitting on the couch and eating ice cream is one of the ways I've dealt with some wonderful breakups. Um I love ice cream, um, but we lose motivation. Our reward center, when we're in a relationship, we love to do for a partner or have our partner do for us. It's just how humans are wired. And then you add the DS element where no matter which side of the slash you're on, that whole reward, being rewarded, giving rewards, doing for a partner, asking a partner to do for us, 
that's more intense because of the nature of DS. And the other thing that a breakup does is it can awaken addiction cravings. Maybe that explains my ice cream fascination, especially then. Um, but yeah, the breaking up triggers the not so good parts of our brain or parts of our brain to act in not so good ways, potentially. And because we've opened up and if you're newer and even sometimes, um, you know, veteran lifestyle people, breakups can really, really suck because, you know, even as more experienced people in the lifestyle, as we grow in the lifestyle, there's a lot of self reflection that happens. Um, obviously it happens for somebody who's newer as well, but as we grow in the lifestyle, we grow as people. Um, so we're continuously learning and we're opening up no matter whether you're new or not, you're opening up new areas of your heart and you are sharing this with somebody. And so we're sharing very deep things with a partner. And so when a relationship comes to an end, it is very, very, it can be very painful. It doesn't always have to be. Um, there, there can be, you know, mutual partings where parting is friends, parting is good. You realize that you're great people. You just don't work together and not have those negative, you know, or having the negative feelings or as badly as, as other times, and, and that happens, but with DS, because we are being so open with a partner and sharing things with them that we don't share the rest of the world, it can make a relationship termination seem to feel worse than perhaps what a vanilla relationship end has felt in the past doesn't always have to be that way isn't always that way but especially if you're new it it can it can sting more than um than what you're expecting um so yeah i you know i should have thought this through better because that was the last question i had and boy i hate leaving things on a on a downer note like that so but it is what it is i that's the the end of the questions, and uh, I did a quick think in my brain of something positive to say, and and boy, I, I don't. I guess the one thing that I will say as a positive is no matter what happens in a relationship, whether it's a, you know, you meet the love of your life, and it's great, and everything is wonderful, and you're spending the rest of your life with this amazing person, um, or you ended up going and opening your heart up to a, a person who stomped on it, which happens unfortunately. And, and we're having that, you know, the breakup hurt and heartache. Um, no matter what people are lessons. Um, so even if it's not a good lesson, there are still lessons to learn from it. So no matter whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, uh, there are, life lessons that come out of every relationship and everybody teaches teaches us lessons it's just a matter of whether we as individuals decide to uh 
to learn the lessons or if we're going to repeat ourselves three or four times just to make sure we we've got it right before we uh before we implement those lessons. So anyways, I want to thank everybody who's who's asked questions. Um, and I look forward to answering more questions. Uh, if you have questions, just reach out to me. I'm on social media. Just search for Chatting with a Lightkeeper, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm there. Um, just brand new to Pinterest, just giving that a whirl. So if you're on Pinterest, search for Chatting with a Lightkeeper. Come say hi. So brand new there. Would love to, um, love for other people who are listening that are on Pinterest to say hi to me there as well. And please don't forget to click the follow button so you never miss an episode of Chatting with a Lightkeeper. Um, also, if you listen on Spotify, um, there's a quick poll question there for you um, on Spotify Mobile to answer if you'd be so inclined. And if you have any questions, just click the feedback button that is on the podcast wherever you listen. And I will be more than happy to answer any and all questions. And I guess I should say, shouldn't say answer because answer implies that I have the right, you know, like my response is going to be correct. Um, if you have a question, I'll share my opinion and then you can decide whether it's right, partially right or not right for you. How's that? Anyway, thank you for listening and I look forward to chatting with you again real soon.